You are Locked On Hornets, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. In a minute, cuz, we live. We live. This is Locked On Hornets, your daily Hornets and NBA podcast coming to you from the heart of the Queen City. I'm Doug Branson. With me today, the man, the myth, the legend, ready to talk about a UNC legend, maybe? Justin Jackson? We'll get the to The Kingmaker. <laughs> what do you I'm call, ready. What do you I'm call ready. him? Why do you call him the Kingmaker? I like him. Um, you know, he, hey, he put Roy in that rarefied air. Three three national titles, not something you can shake a stick at. Well, we'll talk about him in just a moment. Also, quick reminder, uh, David, we are locking in our sponsors for this next season. October, the start of the the, the end of October is coming uh, sooner than you think. This season is going to be underway. And uh, if you own a business, if you know someone who does own a business that wants access to a, uh, a motivated um, audience of sports fans, of Hornets fans, uh, let us know. Buzz Buzz at LockedOnHornets.com. Love to have some new local sponsors for this upcoming year. Uh, so contact us. Let us know. That's all right. All right. Let's, so we're going to talk about Justin Jackson. Also, we've got uh, Danny LaRue coming up of uh, Locked On Warriors and... Also, the Twitter NBA shows with the uh, uh, with the Dunked On podcast as well. Very smart mm-hmm. basketball guy. He's going to be talking about his article that he wrote for the crossover, and it's all about the options that the Hornets have this off season. There are not many of them. They have they <laughs> there there are a few. There are a few. They've got a couple. Uh, one of them is the eleventh pick. And they could use that 11th pick on one, Justin Jackson of UNC. Very interesting junior year out of Justin. I talked to John Bowman of the Daily Tar Heel, who has covered Justin Jackson for a few seasons. Uh, We start with the strengths that Justin Jackson showed this past season. So the biggest thing that you get with Justin Jackson right off the bat is you're getting an above-average shooter. Uh, Coming out of high school, he was recruited to be kind of a knockdown shooter right off the bat. He struggled his first two years in Chapel Hill. And after he declared for the draft, after his sophomore season, one of the big things the the NBA scouts gave him as feedback was to improve on his shooting. He came back and did that his junior year on his way as well to winning ACC Player of the Year. So an NBA team that drafts him would get shooting right off the bat, can help space the floor. He's got potential as a defender. Uh, He's locked down Malik Monk, for example, but he's been a little bit inconsistent there with his effort. I think he still has the potential to be an above-average defender, but not quite a Tony Allen type in terms of just straight-up locking people down. Uh, And he can also score a little bit around the basket. He doesn't get to the free-throw line very much, but he finishes well, especially with a floater. So he can still, if you close out hard on him, he can still attack the basket and score. What about weaknesses? I mean, you know, when when you stay in college, as long as he did, you know, some of those get exposed. We know about some of them. Uh, What does he still have left to improve upon? I would say one of the big knocks on Justin would be he's not an above average athlete. Uh, Over the years at UNC, I don't think he dunked more than a handful of times. He's not an explosive player in that respect. That didn't hurt him very much in college uh, if he's facing 
some below average college defenders that still wouldn't show up. But when he gets into the NBA where everyone is a great athlete, that may start to become more of a problem, even when he just is attacking the lane and he doesn't quite have the for quick first step to get around uh, the perimeter defenders. And I'd also point to that defense again. Um, it's unclear whether he'll be able to stay with point guards or shooting guards on the wings. They're very quick. He can stay with wings, but then if you start to slide him down into the post, he couldn't really keep up with a, a strong, powerful back-to-the-basket four or five. So he's a little bit of a weak defender in that respect. And I know a lot of people have discussed his thin frame. Is that something that worries you as he looks to make that leap to the NBA? Justin has shown the ability so far at UNC to be an extremely hard worker. So while he's thin now, I really believe in his ability to put on weight. He'll definitely need to do that. Uh, He's going to be facing guys like LeBron James now. These guys are super strong. So he's definitely going to have to add weight even to just hold his own when he's driving into the post and stuff. But I think with the strong off-season workouts, I'm not too worried about that. I think he'll put in the time in the gym. Uh, The Tar Heels obviously won the championship, so they played in a lot of big games in the tournament. What did he show you in those big game performances? Yeah, definitely. Justin is a big game player. I think the first uh, real instance of that for North Carolina was the UNC-Kentucky game back in December. Uh, He faced off against Malik Monk, as I said earlier, and he competed with Monk right off the bat. He made some really big shots, and he kept that up throughout the tournament. Uh, the UNC team wasn't quite his. It was kind of a shared control between him and Joel Berry, but he definitely was not afraid from taking big shots, uh, especially from three-point range. He has a pretty deep range. He can step out far and will pull the trigger if he sees an open shot. And what would you say is his go-to move? What's the, what's the Justin Jackson go-to at this point? At this point, I'd still say his trademark floater. So his first two years at UNC, he really liked to show it off. It's a quick release, so the big men who are guarding him can't quite get it blocked. I don't think I ever saw it get blocked once in his three years at UNC. And it seems to always go in somehow. Uh, It's got a high arc, so it's a really nice-looking shot. And I think it's a shot that will translate well to the NBA. And what do you think his ideal role would be with an NBA team, maybe in his first few years in the league? I definitely think he's not quite a starter yet. I think he's a role player. Uh, who can come in off the bench, stretch the floor. Every NBA team needs floor spacers and shooters. So he's not someone who could be in the primary action as a pick-and-roll ball handler. But if he spaces the floor on the opposite side, I think he could provide shooting in the corners. He's very good in the corners and on the wings. And if the ball's passed to him, he could still keep the train moving. He has some playmaking abilities. He's not quite ready to anchor a unit but he could be a great piece for a team especially a contending team or a playoff mid-tier team to kind of help be an extra piece to the puzzle for them David, if the Hornets drafted Justin Jackson it would fulfill two of your draft myths that you wrote about on at the yeah. dot com. That's right. It would, it would, he was a, a NCAA hero, and yep. he was uh, uh, someone who uh, went to the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill. So, how do you feel about that? First, the fulfillment of the myths. Uh huh. Uh, well, I mean, that I think is one thing clear from that uh, piece of writing I, I laid out there. That's gonna that's gonna persist no matter what. Yes, it would. So you might as well you know lean at some into point it. Buy into you just want to yeah. yeah, just lean into it. 
Exactly. I mean, Justin Jackson, Doug, he has surprisingly been absent, I think, from a lot of the pre-draft Hornets talk, at least, in my opinion. I mean, he's just, when you look at him, 6'8", can shoot. They, they need some shooting. Get him some shots! Um, and an experienced guy. He fills that role, too, right? I mean, a three-year player. Uh, that's basically a four-year player in today's NBA, right? So, I mean, he checks a lot of the so-called boxes that you would think the Hornets would like. I want to talk about his shot for a second. As John mentioned in that piece, it's well, it's a well-documented thing. So he uh, went into that All-American game, and McDonald's All-American game, and had a beautiful shot and was touted for his shooting ability. And then in the first two years of college, really struggled and then uh, tweaked some things a little bit, uh, especially what he did, not even just his shot motion, which really wasn't broken necessarily, has a really fluid, really repetitive shot motion. A lot of it was his footwork leading into catch-and-shoot opportunities because that's... Yeah, the tightened it up, and that's really where he thrived is in catch and shoot, less so in like creating his own shot in terms of his of his three point shot. That was he used the creation more in in that runner that John talked about. Um, but I wonder if that's going to happen again as he moves into the NBA and he deals with quicker defenders who are better at closing out. I just feel like it's a lot like me going into college when you, you sort of. I think oh, going really? in, going into high school and going <laughs> into college, like you have to find the tricks of the trade. Like I, right. I struggled my freshman year of high school. I struggled my freshman year of college, not in basketball, just in life in general and schoolwork. And you, yeah. you have to find those little tricks and sort of rethink how you're working things. And I wonder if that's going to happen in the NBA. I just wonder if you can expect him to be a knockdown shooter year one after what we saw going into UNC. Well, he's willing to put in the work, right, which is another thing that came through in that interview. And, and, and that's what you've seen. You know, he tested the waters last year, and they said that you've got to get uh, he got a better grilled. shot. He got consistent. grilled by yeah. the Golden State Warriors. Right. And so, I mean, he took that to heart, right, and went in the gym. And, like, his range is there, Doug. I mean, he has a lot of those shots that he was shooting. Now, a lot of them were, were super wide open. Uh, but he improved his three-point shooting admirably. And uh, ACC Player of the Year, nothing to sneeze at. And was a big-time player for Carolina. I mean, the big reason they won the national championship. So, I mean, sure, you can uh, be worried that he's maybe fall back into some of those bad habits. But I think he had, he did enough work. And he's going to be learning from the best now, of course, with the NBA coaches and playing against the best. So, I mean, you got to hope that the work he put in, not only he'll be willing to do that again, but he can carry those good habits. So, I mean, I hear your concern. But, like, you know, I feel like he's already corrected that to, to some extent, and you just want him to fall back into his old habits. Like, why? Why won't you let him let him live? I'm so sorry. No, I <laughs> you know, when I think about his fit in Charlotte, I think about Jeremy Lamb. To be honest, I think yeah. that he would be an upgrade. Finishing the. Well, I think no, I, I don't think he's like Jeremy Lamb. I just think he would be an upgrade over Jeremy Lamb, who they leaned on at times to play the backup three role. Because remember last offseason, David, we talked about how the Charlotte Hornets, despite having Michael Kidd Gilchrist who is injury prone, they did not go into that season with a legitimate backup three. Uh, they had Trevion Graham on the roster, but the, he never really had a chance of playing significant minutes. So they really leaned on Lamb to fill that role at times. And Lamb is listed at 6'5", 185. Jackson is at 6'7", 6'8", 200. Yeah. So physically, yeah. it would be an upgrade. Gilchrist is listed at 6'7", 232. But yeah. I see 
Jackson as not only a legitimate backup three option, but somebody who complements the skills and the weaknesses of Michael Kidd Gilchrist because he's going to give you the shooting that you're not going yeah. to get with Michael Kidd Gilchrist. He will struggle defensively against physical players, but I think, you know, I'm not crazy worried about Jackson defensively because he's going to be coming off the bench most likely. So he's going to face a few mismatches here and there, but he's, he, he's going to know where he is supposed to be on the court. Like the one thing that you don't question Mm -hmm. about Justin Jackson is his basketball IQ. I don't think that he's going to ever find himself in similar situations to Jeremy Lamb where He's he's just not aware of where he's supposed to be or loses no. track of his positioning uh, within the the context of the play like Jeremy Lamb would at times. So I don't worry as much about him defensively as maybe some others would. And defensively, Doug. I mean, look what he did in the NCAA tournament, right? Malik Monk. Not only Malik Monk, but um, gosh, I, I know I was going to forget these guys. They're college guys, but uh, in the game against Oregon and. Um, Oh gosh, there was another game that he he shut down. You know the other team's main score, right? And these are all uh, shorter, qu- quicker guys for the most part. And he How about was Dylan he Brooks. Was, yes, thank you, thank you, thank you. Um, and, and so he was able to shut those guys down. Uh, and, I mean, took him out of the game. And the Monk thing was really impressive because, of course, he he went toe to toe with them in the early season matchup scoring. And then they finally made that switch um, in the NCAA tournament. He was able to shut him down. I mean, that showed me a lot, uh, to, to be honest with you, because I, you didn't, you weren't sure about his defense. But like you said, I'm not too worried about it going up against quicker guys. He's got that length at six eight, right? So I mean, you kind of like that. It just feels like he should be getting a little more talk, especially around the Hornets. No, I mean, you don't think so? Do you think a lot of people? Okay, so a lot of people, right? It's North Carolina guy, so of course MJ is going to draft him. Yada yada yada. But do you think people have just watched him for three years, right? And they saw, like you, they saw this one year, and they say, yeah, he made that jump the one year, but do we really want to take a chance on a guy who, you know, been in college three years, maybe he's maxed out? Well, he had a lot of success in the ACC. He was ACC Player of the Year. He got better as his career went on. He learned to shoot. He's limited athletically, but he has a ton of basketball IQ. It sounds a lot like a guy named Malcolm Brogdon. That's what I yeah, that was my next point. That's back in vogue now, right? He fell to the second round. A lot of people see that as a huge mistake now. Milwaukee was the beneficiary of that and and he is in line to be rookie of the year. Now will, you know, will Justin Jackson be able to accomplish all of that? I don't know. Uh but it it certainly has to be in the back of of uh, the minds of the front offices yeah. who will start to evaluate this is, do you want to let the next Malcolm Brogdon go because you are uh, deferring to players that may have more upside just because of the fact that they are younger? Uh, right. I, I don't know. Uh, let's talk about his combine really quickly. He tested exactly how you thought he would test. He was middle of the pack in terms of his leaping ability. His lane agility and shuttle run times were guard level. Uh, he uh, projects to be a combo guard forward. So even though he won't ever be, I don't think, a great leaper, like he's not going to be yeah. somebody who finishes you know, with a monster dunk, but he could use his three-point skills if they do translate. He could use those to pump fake and finish with that patented runner or maybe change directions and draw a foul because he got better at that too at Carolina. We don't talk a lot about that. And also, he's a decent passer. Yeah, I mean, he's really somebody that can do a little bit of everything. Don't you have a feeling that if he went to somewhere like 
like in the right situation on a a playoff team, that's key. He could really be valuable. That's like key. Off the bench, not a lot of pressure on him, but but asked to come in and do things in in some key situations, right? With some veteran leadership in front of him, you really feel like he could be a, a valuable piece, like a Brogdon. I mean, look at that um, Milwaukee team. They asked him to do probably a lot more than they had planned on it early on. And Brogdon has a ball in his hands a lot more, and is a different player than Jackson. Mm-hmm. But with these guys that have you know gone through the rigors of uh, playing several seasons in college, uh, the right situation is so important, especially for a guy like that. I mean, you know, if everything went right next year, can you see the Hornets bench situation, especially being that area for a guy like Justin Jackson? Well, that's the key is I think on a playoff team, I think he could be the perfect fit because he's not this sort of traditional three-level scorer that can change the direction of a franchise completely like a Dennis Smith but if they don't, if they bring him in for a workout, if he comes in for a workout and they don't think that Justin Jackson would be too much of a reach at 11, then I think if, if the Hornets were drafting for fit, if they feel like, look, we've got limited options in free agency because of our cap situation and uh, we need to find a guy that can fit right now and can play some kind of role, then I would feel okay if that were the mentality of them taking a guy like Justin Jackson, who you can plug in, and we know one of the three roles that they need to fill is wing scoring. And, and mm-hmm. I think that Justin Jackson could possibly give you that as a rookie, and he would be slightly uh, less expensive than sure. a, a Jeremy Lamb, and it would allow you to move uh, a Jeremy Either Lamb one, right? comfortably, or Marco Bellinelli, for that matter. So yeah. you yeah. would have yeah. some options there in terms of movement. I think it would be a, a good deal for the for the Hornets. If again, if that's the mentality. But I know a lot of people out there listening right now. I know you're listening and going, "Wait a minute, hold on." Justin Jackson, three years at UNC, national champion. We know what he is. Uh, this is not taking a swing. This is not changing the direction no. of the franchise. I hear you, but at the same time. Their their mind is on making the playoffs. Yeah, and and you know he's a guy that they would like, right? Like a pretty high IQ guy, uh, seems like a good character guy, someone that will come in and work hard. I mean, you can really see Clifford and that staff getting a hold of Justin Jackson and not how much a worse. My thing is, David, how much worse would he be than Jeremy Lamb? Like from the jump, from the day right. that he steps on the court, how much worse would he be than Jeremy Lamb? A guy, who I'm not sure he would be that much worse. Any- Right. Who we've talked about more than anyone else, right? Kind of, is he finally going to get it? You know, is he going to be in the gym? Is he going to work hard? Like, that's not something you feel like you're going to have to worry about with Justin Jackson from day one. And let's say, Doug, let's say, last thing, say they have him in for a workout and he just shoots the lights out, right? Like, he just, he just lights it up. It's going to be tough. It's going to be tough for them to look the other way. Um, So, so if you have to choose a myth, you know, to, to, to die on a hill to die on this year. If it's going to be, you know, Carolina guy, big tall white guy, I guess it just depends. You're, you're, you're leaning more like a Zach Collins though. At this point, it feels like to me as we go down these previews. Only because I only, I'm only leaning Zach Collins if he's available because I'm looking at free agency and I'm going, they could probably find some wing scoring and free agency uh, easier than they could find rim protection. But if Zach Collins is gone, then I would feel more comfortable, and this is going to this is going to uh, not feel right to some people. But I would feel more comfortable with them looking at a Justin Jackson than a Lowry Markkinen. Because how about a, how about a Frank? 
well, I think Frank's three years away from being a, a, know, a, 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 a player, yeah. like an impact player. Yeah. Right. So again, I, I just I think if if their mentality is making the playoffs, then and and, and okay, but see, I'm already giving away some of the stuff that Danny's <laughs> going to talk about. Let's get to I know. Danny. I jumped ahead because yeah, because the, the limited options. That's what this offseason is all about for the Hornets. And I talked to Danny Larue, who uh, you can find on the Twitter NBA show with the Dunked On podcast. And he is also the host of Locked On Warriors, one of the smartest basketball guys out there. Let's take a listen. You wrote an article on the Hornets offseason options for the crossover. Uh, Fair to say it's a tough situation for general manager Rich Cho. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that that's kind of what happens when you when a team spends a lot of money in one offseason. And I, I'm not going to say that, I mean, at least most of the money that Charlotte spent was was reasonable, but it just gets harder to spend in future years. You say that they have a log jam at shooting guard in the article. Uh, Nick Batum starts, and behind him you have two guys in Marco Bellinelli and Jeremy Lamb with very movable deals in terms of money. If you had to pick one to trade, which one would you select? I'd probably try to move Lamb, but you wonder how many teams are really interested in him at this point, considering he was pretty buried in Coach Steve Clifford's rotations. It's certainly a possibility, but you, you kind of want to listen on both guys. And if especially if they're going to be backups, then it's it's not as big of a deal. You know, the difference between them is a little bit more negligible. It can depend a little bit more on the offers that they get and that, you know, considering Bellinelli's an expiring contract, it's very possible that he will be more palatable to other teams. And that's the problem, right, Danny? I mean, they signed a lot of these reasonable deals, but when you're coming off a season where a lot of players uh, played below expectation, it's very tough uh, to maneuver in terms of cap space and, and moving guys around to shed some of that cap. Right. And it also, you run into the challenge when you're trying to trade an existing contract that how you value players is a part of the equation, but also how other teams do as well. And that's what you get into in terms of performing below expectations is that, you know, if it, it, you, in some cases, and I think Jeremy Lamb's a great encapsulation of this, you have to take into account kind of where the other team is coming from with him. And maybe they're, maybe they're seeing it as kind of like, oh, is he going to be worth that? It's about $7 million for him for, for each of the next two years. And so, that gets harder in case you want to move it. And then that kind of starts to push on whether letting go of Ramon Sessions is the most is the most reasonable of those outcomes if they want to clear a little bit more salary. There are three pretty clear needs for the Hornets at the backup point guard position, wing shooter, and rim protector. Of those three roles, needs for the Hornets, which do you think would be best to address in free agency? It's going to be really hard if they want to be a playoff team next year to expect, especially a, a rookie, to come in and be the backup point guard. That's just not something we see very often. It's a position, and Hornets fans should know this well from Kevin Walker. It takes some time. And so if they want to be a playoff team next year, we don't even know if there's going to be a point guard good enough at the 11 pick to make that work, but that's going to be a bigger challenge. So that's where I would lean in free agency. And the nice thing for Charlotte is that while it's hard to find somebody perfect, for what they're looking for because Jeremy Lin was just such a great reflection of a lot of things they wanted. He could play with Kemba, he could play without him, that it's going to be hard to get somebody perfect, but getting somebody capable will be doable. And how do you think their current cap situation will affect their draft mentality heading into June 22nd? I don't think it affects it that much. I mean, the way that you need to... 
approach it basically the same way every time, which is your goal is to get somebody who can contribute to your team. Some teams focus more on the first couple of years of that rookie scale contract. Some focus more on the latter couple. But really, you take the best available player, and if that guy ends up being good enough to be a part of your rotation or even your starting lineup, great. And we know that general manager Rich Cho did not get an extension in the offseason. He was eligible for one, did not get it. Uh, do you think, in your experience, does that affect uh, off-season decisions at all? I mean, should we expect uh, something different out of Rich Cho than we've seen out of the past few off-seasons? It really can. Uh, it, it depends. I mean, I think Cho's relationship with ownership, I mean, from what I can tell, and I'm obviously a layperson in terms of their relationship, it seems pretty good. But one of the scariest times for a fan base should be when a GM thinks that their job is at stake. And that's when you see a lot of the most destructive moves that happen like for example orlando trading victor oladipo and their lottery pick for serge Ibaka. you know Ibaka's is a good player but he was an expiring contract they ended up getting less for him when they traded him a couple you know a couple months later than they did and so those are the types of moves the win now moves that happen when a gm thinks that if their team doesn't perform to expectations they, they're going to be looking for a new job and so that's something to be wary of and i've encouraged ownership if they're ever that shaky on somebody they should probably just let him go but that's always easier said than done. And I don't know if that is applicable in this case because I, I can't say for certain. In the article, you uh, list the state of the franchise as maintaining. Is that a good thing that the Hornets are maintaining in the current climate of the Eastern Conference? It's better than a lot of other teams. I mean, you think about just how flawed some of these squads are that are that are coming out there. And then you have teams that might be committing to kind of inconsistent groups like Chicago. I mean, if they end up if Wade opts in and Rondo, you know, whatever they do with Rondo. So there are worse places to be. And I am, I'm a Charlotte believer. I, I like Clifford. I like a lot of the players on this team. I expected them to blow through their, uh, their over on their, on their over last year. So I think it can work, but the problem is the lack of flexibility. So it's kind of the idea of, well, how easy is it to change course? And for Charlotte at this point, while they don't really have that much bad money on their books, it's just kind of in, a, in strange allotments that will make it hard to change course if it's not working. And that's the part of maintaining that can be shaky. Brilliant. Thank you, Danny. That's uh, that's all I have for you. I, I really appreciate you taking the time out. I know you're busy. Oh, absolutely. Thank, thanks for having me on. So... First of all, great interview. Thanks to Danny yeah. again for, for joining us. But uh, the thing that I wrote down from that interview is is what he said about how hard is it going to be to change course? Mm-hmm. And, and I've been thinking about this a lot because if you're Rich Cho, you want to get this franchise back into the playoffs. But at the same time, I think there's a danger of overcorrecting of being so um, jazzed about, you know, needing to make moves, make uh, some serious moves that you end up overcorrecting and like the magic you mentioned. Right. And ruining right. sort of ruining the chemistry that you've spent so long building. You don't want to, it's like a game of Jenga where you're about, you're, you're, you're taking risks. You're pulling from the bottom a little too far from the bottom and the <sighs> whole thing the falls. Want. You know, that's what they want. <laughs> I know, but that's the danger. And so yeah. I think that's that's going to be what's what's going to be interesting to watch is 
um, you know, which uh, which Jenga block does does Rich Cho pull? Is does he do it immediately in the draft and move that eleventh pick, or does he wait later on? Yeah, and the one thing I took away from that, and a big reason that uh, we wanted to have Danny on, was that piece that he wrote, and I think it gives you some national perspective, which. I think it's important at times because we get so down on the Hornets locally for not making the playoffs and for, you know, having the same season over and over again or, you know, every other year. And you listen to Danny talk, right? He he, he sees the whole league. Well, yeah, he has and, to cover the tire fires, too. Because talk about stank. Right. And so he gives you a little perspective. So, look, there's a lot. Uh, I mean, I know this is not like the best thing you want to hear, but there's a lot of other teams in a much worse situation than are the Hornets. And I just think for where they want to be, I've said this a lot of times, where they want to be is in the playoffs in a position to win a playoff series. And I just don't think they're that far away from doing that and 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 going crazy and 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 pulling in Orlando Magic not uh, like, you know, draft night and making a bunch of trades. Not only does it not feel like a Rich Cho or uh, Steve Clifford, Michael Jordan thing to do from what we've seen over the last couple of years. It, it doesn't feel like the right thing to do for a team that a is just going to have to would have to make so many monumental, almost impossible moves to you know be in a different position than wanting to win a playoff game, like challenging the upper echelon of the NBA. Like it's just not where they are right now. I don't like that. Well, they're they're further away from failing than they are from succeeding. Right. I mean, they would have right, to. I, yeah. Yeah, I mean, you. I get people all the time like, "Hey, when are we going to start the process?" You know, it's like, "When are we going to do the process?" And I'm like, "You want to sign up for how?" Contractually, how they can't. They can't start the process. They're, <laughs> they're just they're 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 sort of they are where they are at this point, which is both um, scary and comforting at the same time. It comforts me mm-hmm. because I look at LeBron James right now and I go. And honestly, I'm like nihilistic about everything now. Uh, maybe it's the political environment that we're in now, but I'm just like, look, nothing matters. Like they could be good or they could be not good. It, it doesn't, you know, they're just going to run into a oh. hacksaw eventually. So why yes. not just try to give your fans the best possible experience exactly. in, in these years when everyone's just running into a buzzsaw anyway? Uh, exactly. So. And that's, that's their culture. I just, I mean, do you see show doing you know or this organization trying something just ultra crazy at this point i mean i just don't i know it's it's like a contract year for Cho supposedly you know he's got that extension but i just don't see him flying off the handle and and trying something super not when the starters again the starters played very well when they were healthy the starters played very well this season so I, i i do think they're going to make small changes they do have some room to maneuver. I just don't expect it, but at the same time, I'm prepared sure. for it because of that uh, because of that situation with Rich Cho and because of the pressure that there is to win, to get back to the playoffs, to reinvigorate a fan base that is desperate to be in, reinvigorated. So uh, this I, is going to be a fun offseason regardless. Yeah. I, I don't think it's going to be a boring one. Um, and, yeah. Yeah. And one other thing that Danny said that was interesting, Doug, was we're talking about the point guards, right? Because we've talked a lot about Frank and Dennis Smith, you know, possibly slipping down to the Hornets. And what he said, trying to integrate a, a rookie point guard, you know, these days is increasingly hard. And you may be able to find something of an improvement uh, on the free agent market. I think they can find an improvement. And they talked a little bit about Sessions in his piece, but that may be the way to go when you look at the landscape. It's just tough to know right now with so many moving parts, but that's certainly something they're going to have to look at on draft night and kind of keep an eye on where things are. Yeah, and Brogdon, you know, you look back at Brogdon, that was a perfect situation because he he had the playing time because there wasn't the talent there in Milwaukee. Plus, he was coached by Jason Kidd, who is probably going Mm -hmm. to be um, a somewhat – 
you know, just as a point guard, he's going to a coach the point guard very well, but also I think be more um, more apt to trust a a point guard who he sees as having skills, as having those raw abilities. Uh, and more have so- Giannis. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that helps. <laughs> that that helps a lot. Uh, all right, so we're out of time here. Thanks so much for listening to Locked On Hornets here on the Locked On Podcast Network. Thanks to our guests, John Bowman and Danny LaRue. Follow us on Twitter at Locked On Hornets. Subscribe to us on iTunes. And while you're there, give us a five-star review. It helps hardcore Hornets fans just like yourself find this podcast. Shoot us your Hornets questions and thoughts to buzzbuzz at LockedOnHornets.com. We're back again tomorrow with another draft profile and news from around the Hornets and the NBA For David, I'm Doug. Go Hornets. Go America. Let's swarm Charlotte. Ace is the place with the helpful hardware, folks. It's Ace's biggest LED light bulb sale of the year. Right now, buy one, get one free on our best-selling LED light bulbs. Our four-pack of LED bulbs is $9.99, and our two-pack of LED floodlights is only $12.99. Buy one, get one free. There's no limit on how much you can save, so stock up now. Hurry in. Buy one, get one free on long-lasting 10-year LED bulbs, now through Monday, only at your neighborhood Ace. See participating stores for details.